This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock Fam Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. Uh, we are embracing the bye week, uh, licking our wounds, recovering from whatever the hell Florida did to us, uh, and, and escaping, escaping real life. Just talking about sports and talking about something easy and ignoring everything else going on. BK, how you doing, my man? I'm doing all right, man. It uh, would be better if Mizzou was coming off of even a competitive game against Florida. Unfortunately, that's not the way that things went. And so here we are. That being said, I know we're going to have a little bit of a breakdown on that today. We'll get into that a little bit more. And then uh, I want to kind of look at where we are as we stand officially halfway through the season. So we'll get officially. into that a little bit later on as well. That's right. Yeah. So as we do, we always kind of you know, take a couple days and think about the game and look at the look at the tape again and break it down and sometimes that reveals some some things that you might have missed sometimes it looks at some promising things guys it none none of that um in fact looking at the advanced stuff uh as i went through beyond the box score this week it just it just made me more sad it was more 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 depressing of a loss than even i anticipated watching it the first time um you can kind of pick Pick whatever you want to pick as far as things that were disappointing. Um, do you want to talk about yards per play at 4.1 versus Florida 7.3? Sure. Yeah, that'll do it. 
Uh, scoring opportunities, Florida had eight, Missouri had five. That seems to be noticeable. Uh, but really the points per opportunity, 5.1 versus 3.4. You can look at the third downs where, uh, yes, Florida went four for 13 and Missouri went three for 15, but average yards to go was six for Florida and eight for Missouri. Um, the turnovers, the, the field position, the success rates, which were just abysmal. Um, BK, what was, what was your least favorite thing of the game after looking at it again? Uh, success rate second quarter and third quarter for Missouri. Yep, pretty bad. Twelve <laughs> percent. I say that as if our audience knows what I'm talking about. Missouri had a twelve percent success rate in the second quarter, a fourteen percent success rate in the third quarter. Florida was at forty three percent in the second quarter and fifty five percent in the third quarter. If you mm-hmm. needed to know where things went awry, well, you <laughs> probably knew by watching the game and seeing like the three minute real time span of Missouri losing the football game mm-hmm. to end the second quarter. But those numbers just are sometimes the eye test really does match up with the numbers. Mm-hmm. And from this particular situation, the eye test absolutely matched up with the numbers. <laughs> it really did. Um, yeah, success rate, again, is just measuring, hey, uh, of all the plays that you run, how many went for a successful amount of yards? Now, on first down, that's half of the yards needed. On second down, that's 70% of the yards needed. And third and fourth down, it's 100%. Pretty easy. Most teams do fairly well. Missouri's been 30, 40, 50 range for most of the year. 12 is bad. 14 is bad. They didn't even do that against Alabama. Out Against Alabama, their worst success rate was 21% in the first quarter. This is, this is worse than that. So, yeah, it, Florida just dominated them. And, you know, it was – you see – okay, you see these low success rates. You know, okay, what the heck happened? Well, here's what happened. Um – Missouri averaged three yards gained on first down. That's what they averaged. Um, they had one. They had two big plays on first down in the entire game. Everything else was an incomplete pass or a one-yard run by Larry. So on average, Missouri was facing a second and seven. A second and seven is a passing down. All right, that's when you typically need to pass. Now you can run, obviously, but when you have those big. Uh, yard deficits, the defense can basically drop back, sit back, let you do whatever you're going to do. And Florida is particularly good at stopping that sort of thing, stopping big plays, playing cloud coverage, and just clogging everything up. And, you know, Bazelak had no time to throw, A, and then B, couldn't find anybody. Um, and I was either sacked or hurried um, or forced to make a dump-off play to Larry Roundtree, which is why Larry led the team with seven targets and six catches. Uh, so it, it, it just played right into Florida, exactly what Florida wanted to do defensively. And Missouri, as of right now, is just not good enough to overcome that. Yeah, um, I think one other thing, just kind of focusing back in on Larry Roundtree, as you were just talking about, is his running game as well. I mean, it's Poor. one thing to talk about what he did in the passing game, but my God, line yards is a metric that you measure, and that is uh, measured across the fall, uh, football landscape now. Missouri's line, on average, paved the way for Larry Roundtree to get half a yard per carry. <laughs> yes. Let me let me reiterate that. Missouri's offensive line, on average, based on what they did in their blocking assignments, should have given Larry Roundtree the ability to get half a yard down the field before he was either tackled or at least the first contact was made. 
he averaged 2.8, or the Missouri running backs on average, averaged 2.8 yards per carry. So he was getting like two yards on his own. He was actually creating pretty well. Mm-hmm. The offensive line was just abysmal in this game, man. And I really don't understand what happened. I don't I don't get it. I know some of that is injuries, but they shouldn't have been that bad. It's one thing to be like mediocre, middling, or notice that a guy's out. It's another thing entirely to be awful. Like, absolutely horrendous. And on Saturday, both by the numbers and by the eye test, they the, the latter applied for this offensive line, unfortunately. I mean, Larry Boren might just be offensive line god. Like, don't rule that out. He and Xavier Delgado, right? Like, maybe they are the glue that holds that line together. Uh, and Dylan Spencer and, and, and Javon Foster, just not, not – not the same, I guess, with them. But at the same time, again, yes, this this Florida defensive front, they were giving up, you know, success rates, you know, in the fifty percentage, fifty percentile, uh, opportunity rate somewhere in the forties. And Missouri couldn't do any of that. Thirty percent success rate, thirty five percent opportunity rate. Like you said, half a yard, offensive line opened up a half yard hole. Um, now part of that, and I will give him credit, is Kiki Chisholm's blown up run play where he lost 15 yards. Yes, that's part of it. But if you take that out, that's still only 1.1 line yards per carry, which is still, still the worst of the year. Yes, worse than Alabama where they averaged 1.9. Your offensive line isn't giving you at least two yards, and you have to create completely on your own. This is what it looks like. 14 rushes, 36 yards. And what and what is interesting to me, and this kind of goes back to scheme, which I know it's blasphemous for us to kind of question some guy who, you know, designs and calls plays for a living while we don't. But BK, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so at, really at no point after the second quarter was Missouri close. You kept in Larry to run the ball. You also have Tyler Beatty. What's Tyler Beatty good at? Well, he's a running back, so he's pretty decent at running the ball. But what's he even better at? Catching the ball. Catching the ball. And if you're going to target Larry Roundtree seven times, why not target Tyler Beatty seven times and put him in the in the game instead? Like, or put both of them in? I, I don't know. It just schematically doesn't that just seem to make more sense? It was weird. Um, I I honestly just didn't really totally know what to make of a lot of what Missouri tried to do in that game. It just it felt kind of discombobulated. There were times, especially. I think I mentioned this on the Saturday podcast. Um, there were times in like the second and third drive where I felt pretty good about what Missouri was trying to accomplish. And mm-hmm. it felt like they were starting to make a little bit of headway. And that was in the first quarter. By the second quarter, it just felt weird. It felt like they didn't have a whole lot going for them. And they didn't seem to know what they could actually lean on. And kind of to your point on Beatty, he finished that game with 13 snaps offensively. Yeah, 13. Larry Roundtree had 51 snaps offensively. I love Larry Roundtree. I think he's a really, really good player. And I Mm -hmm. think he's going to go down as one of the more underrated Mizzou players since I've really been a fan of Missouri. He shouldn't have out-snapped Tyler Beatty in that game 51-13. to When Missouri is down like that, Tyler Beatty should get maybe even the majority of the snaps in the second half. Agreed. Because he's just a better player for that particular situation. He's really good in the passing game. Missouri has used him that way. And so for them to use him, or to, the lack of usage, rather, in the game against Florida when they're down by that much, especially in the second half, it was just puzzling to me. I didn't really understand it. Yeah. 
I don't either. Uh, he's he's a dynamic enough playmaker. He is you know a poor man's Kadarius Tony that you should be doing the same when you have to pass a lot more, which they did in the third and fourth quarter. So that didn't make any sense. It, God, can we just really? It, to me, it all starts with the offensive line and and the puzzling performance that we spent all week slurping up Marcus Johnson. Hey, he's so much better than Brad Davis, and then had a Brad Davis game. Now against again, it's against Florida. Like we forget Florida's top ten. We forget that for all of their faults when the Florida defense has them, they're still you know a 26th best defense in the country. And Missouri's offense was 98th going into this game. So this is not an unexpected outcome. It's disappointing. We thought we could rise above that, but it's not unexpected. But offensive line. So you're you're out, uh, Angel Matute. You're out, Hiron White, and Thalen Robinson opted out. Is there any other opt-outs? I think that might be it. Drake Heismeyer? I think that's it. I think Drake Heismeyer is still on the team. Anyway, so let's so it's three guys down. And then Larry Borum is out for injury. And Xavier Delgado's out with injury. So you got Mike Maietti. Have we have we called him Jersey Mike yet? <laughs> the sandwich. Have we have we called Just him? Just you, but I think that might stick. I love it's a kid. little late to start this, but it yes. is. It is. So Jersey Mike. Uh, you got Case Cook, captain. You had Zeke Powell and Bobby Lawrence rotating out on left tackle. You have Javon Foster, who's uh, backing up Larry Borum. Thalen Robinson's out. My, but here's a, here's my point. You got Mike Ruth, Jack Buford, who opted back in, Luke Griffin, and Drake Heismeyer. Those are four offensive linemen who have not seen the field at all. And Mitchell Waters. Mitchell Waters. Is Walters injured? I don't remember. You have upperclassmen guys offensive linemen who have the weight who've who've been in the in the gun club right who've built up strength who are built like sec linemen who have not seen the field and this offensive line was struggling and didn't really rotate anybody out so what is it about jack buford luke griffin mike ruth what is it about them mike ruth is is the same class as xavier delgado and javon foster and bobby lawrence why isn't he seeing the field i don't know if it's a practice thing like we've talked about with other players uh competence thing i don't know but doesn't that seem odd that we have all these guys and yet we have like a seven-man tight rotation that's still not doing super great against florida yes but that being said i mean dylan spencer was good previously against kentucky yeah yeah i mean we had mentioned going out going out of and going into the kentucky game we didn't even notice him um, he, he was a guy that was filling in and it's a good thing that we didn't notice him. We're like, Oh, okay. Mizzou's going to be fine. Um, it was problematic that they weren't fine against Florida, of course. But I mean, I, unless you think there is like very little drop off. And I would imagine that based on the snap count, they don't believe this unless you believe there's very little drop off going from Spencer to whoever the next guy is that you want to see. I, I understand leaving him in there. The problem was just, I mean, it was, I don't think it was any one player. I think it was all of them were just bad on Saturday against Florida. If it was one spot where you could spot like, okay, if we fix this here, the, 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 the hole will be plugged and suddenly we're going to feel better about our running game and our pass protection and everything's going to be fixed. Well, then you go do that, of course, right? 
I don't think that was the case. I think that their offensive line just as a whole, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the scheme that they were attempting to run against Florida. I don't know if it was just the talent on Florida's defensive line showed out in a big way on Saturday. I don't know the explanation for this, but for whatever reason, whatever the explanation is, they just weren't good as a unit on yeah. Saturday, more so than it was any individual player. And I'm, I'm referencing specifically Spencer and then Lawrence, who got the vast majority of the snaps at left tackle on Saturday. Yeah. I just, you you know my stance on this season. Like, get your wins. The wins count. The losses don't really count in my mind. And if that's the case and you're down big, I mean, this was garbage time going in the fourth quarter. This was almost garbage time going into the third why not see what you have against Florida? You know, trot some guys out, get some experience. Jack Buford has not been with the team for a month, and then he came back. Just pop him out there, get some reps. Like, I don't know. I just I just see this as a big opportunity to get SEC experience, and they just stuck with the same five guys. Now, we're not getting it done, which is fine. Like, if you want to build that core, cool, but you can get more experience. You can get more guys out there. I was just surprised that they didn't do that. That's all. No, I hear you. I don't have any issue with what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, as a, as a coach, I would imagine that Eli Drinkwitz went into this one saying, we're going to have Spencer as our starting left guard. And I would imagine they probably went into this game not even thinking about pulling him sure. because of how well he did against Kentucky. And so if you have, for instance, a half of bad play by him, I, 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 I'm guessing that what they're really saying to us with their actions is whoever the backup is there is going to be significantly worse in their opinion than the starter was at sure. that point in time. Sure. Yeah, I get it. Well, um, yeah, it was just a whole lot of bad. Um, Nick Bolton ended up not leading the team in tackles. I count tackles a little bit differently. Uh, you have solo tackles and then you have total. Total meaning you were like assisting tackles, so I count those in half. Um, so Devin Nicholson led the team with 10. Nick Bolton led with 6.5. But here's the other thing that's kind of – kind of stuck in my craw here as, as we go through the season. And, and BK, I think you might be agreeing with me here. Havoc rate is the number of plays uh, that you have that are disruptive. They create havoc. So what are those? Well, those are tackles for loss, sacks, obviously, tackles for loss, forced fumbles, passes defensed, and interceptions. And at the end of the day, what you can do is you can take all those havoc plays, divide them by the total tackles that you have, and it gets you the idea, okay, if you're making a play, what's the percentage of those plays that are going to be havoc-inducing? Cool. Makes sense. For reference, Cale Garrett last year was averaging like a 48% havoc rate <laughs> with like all of his passes, <laughs> defense, and interceptions, and tackles for loss, and all that stuff. That, that's on the high end, okay? As a team, as a team, let me rattle off the havoc rate for the entire team starting with the Alabama game, <clears throat> against Alabama, 20.3% havoc rate. Against Tennessee, 10.9% havoc rate. Against LSU, 34.2% havoc rate. Against Kentucky, 8.3% havoc rate. And then against Florida, 25.5%. So it has not crested over 30. Um, and most of that is coming from Nick Bolton himself. You got a couple of edge rushers, like obviously Trajan Jeffcoat's been a been a, a, a blessing coming back, but really you're not seeing a lot of defensive players disrupt plays, mostly just making tackles. Now defenses can do that. Alabama has made, you know, for ten years Alabama made a good name of just making sound tackles and, and clouding the, the the field. 
without being disruptive. But in today's game, you need to be disruptive. And BK, Missouri not super disruptive this year. Oh, it, like in any way, shape, or form. Um, they currently currently rank last in the SEC in tackles for loss. They are 12th out of 14 teams in sacks per game. They are tied for last in interceptions. This week was their first interception on the season. And they find themselves last in the conference in total takeaways so far this year. They are not getting pressure. When they do get that pressure, they are not taking advantage of it with pass breakups. They are not taking advantage of it with interceptions. They are not making tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Their defensive line as a whole is just not making plays. And I think that's one of the things I wrote. I'm writing a piece, and by the time that you're listening to this, it's probably up on the site at Rock M Nation. I'm writing a piece about the two places that Missouri needs to improve down the stretch to be able to have as much success as we think they can against the schedule that remains. And this is one of them. They have to create more havoc plays. And I'm looking right now at what they've done in terms of tackles for loss. Trajan Jeffcoat has three on the year. Markel Lutze has two on the year. Isaiah McGuire has one on the year. Cannon York has one on the year. Akil Byers, one on the year. He's been really quiet, by the way. Um, And then the final one is Trey Williams with one on the year. The vast majority of the tackles that are being made behind the line of scrimmage are by Missouri's defensive backs and linebackers. <laughs> That's yeah. a problem. Yeah. That is not supposed to be the way that it is, and it tells you Missouri's blitzing a lot. They're bringing guys like Martez Manuel and Nick Bolton on stunts a lot. And that's fine. You can get away with playing that way, but it's also going to leave you vulnerable sometimes, and that ends up with big plays coming behind you. When you can't get home with four, when you can't get home with five, that's when these big plays are made, and that's going to be an issue for Mizzou moving forward. If they can't find any sort of production from anybody other than Trajan Jeffcoat up front. So I, I do wonder how much of this issue is by scheme. Because our four-two-five defense has a three-four defensive line. What do I mean that by that? Well, a four-two-five means four defensive linemen, two linebackers, five defensive backs, typically three safeties and, and two corners. A three-four defense is three defensive linemen, four linebackers, and uh, four seven four four defensive backs. Sorry, math is hard. Um, in a three-four scheme, your defensive line tends to just eat blocks, and then you have two outside linebackers to kind of create the havoc on their own. So if you have a 4-2-5 um, core base defense, but your line is three essentially defensive tackles and then one defensive end, doesn't it make sense, especially if one of those linemen is a, is a Chris Turner type, doesn't it make sense that they're not going to create as much pressure, they're not going to get as many uh, quarterback pressures or tackles for loss, and really it needs to be just Jeff Coder Williams generating those kind of plays? Sure, but I, I'm accounting for those guys. Like, I'm, I'm saying Jeff Coat counts as a defensive lineman. I'm saying Williams counts as a defensive lineman. Okay. okay. The guys that are making the tackles for loss, I mean, the vast majority of them are Bolton and Martez Manuel. Yeah. Um, they have yeah. combined for seven on the year, and then you have to go Jeff Coat, Utsi, McGuire, and York, and Williams have all accounted for, like, six and a half combined. So, I mean, it's just like you, you can account for basically all of the defensive linemen, add them all up, and they pretty much match what we've seen from Bolton and Manuel. And that's just not the way that it should be, you know, because you're right. I was I was curious on that. Like, is this just something where it's it's the scheme and the linebacker? What's going on here? 
it's just not, man. It's just not. It, it, the defensive line, including the edge rushers, like I'm, I'm adding those guys into what is otherwise the, the interior defensive line. Mm-hmm. They're just not getting enough production from those guys. They're not getting enough at all. So if it's not scheme, then I think it is just purely talent. And reinforcements are on their way. With Travian Ford, Kyron Montgomery coming in on the line next year, obviously. Mikai Wingo. And Co- by the way, one thing, like even before we look down the line, hopefully Kobe Whiteside's able to play eventually. Yeah, at some point. That's another part of this. At some point, yeah. And and if if anything, just to provide depth, especially with Utsi going to be suspended against uh, the first half against Georgia, um, it would be nice for him to come back. I agree, especially since he was preseason all SEC. Um, so we could have him coming back and then the reinforcements for next year, which does not matter for this year, mind you. But you also add, you know, the defensive line is operating at a talent deficit. There's a lot of depth. There were was a lot of depth, uh, but they're a little bit at a talent deficit. And the secondary, which obviously those two play off of each other, is incredibly young. One of the things we talked about coming into this season is like, hey, there's a lot of new faces in the secondary. And, you know, Jarvis Ware is a known quantity. He's got his faults. But, you know, we're starting Enos Rakestraw, which is great. He's done well. He's still a freshman. Martez Manuel, he's in there. You know, Tyree Gillespie and Joshua Bledsoe are old hands, obviously. But, you know, as far as the corners go, not a whole lot of proven talent. Uh, Jarvis Ware would not be a number one corner on, on really any other SEC team, but he's a number one corner for us. Maybe on Vanderbilt, uh, but but certainly none of the others. Um, so it's 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 a young secondary that isn't super great, and a defensive line that's just old but not super good. Uh, and you put that together, and quarterbacks can find their guy relatively quickly, and uh, the defensive line can't create the pressure to force a quick throw, and the secondary can't stick to their guys fast enough to create that pressure, and voila, we're at where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. It's weird, man. It's something that we – it's not weird. I guess it's, in some ways it's predictable because before the season, we talked how many times, Nate, about this defensive line is going to have trouble getting pressure. Yeah. And they're getting getting—they're having trouble getting pressure. Like This is what we were talking about. And Trajan Jeffcoat is a guy that arrived back on campus like the week of the first game of the season. <laughs> yep. And he's been the saving grace. If not for him, God only knows what this defensive line would be doing. He has three sacks on the year, which is half of what Missouri has on it as a team. Mm -hmm. And he has three tackles for loss. So if not for Trajan Jeffcoat, things would be really bleak right now for the defensive line. And I mentioned earlier the fact that they don't have a white side right now. That's certainly a big loss. The other one is Akil Byers, man. I... What is going on with him? I don't know. He has one solo solo tackle on the season. He has four tackles on the year. I just looked this up because I was like, did, did he not play on Saturday? He was in on 37 plays. I mean, he was one of the highest played defensive linemen. He just has zero production on the year. Mm-hmm. We know he's good. We've seen it. We've watched him be really good on a college football field in the SEC. I don't know what's going on there. So... Um, that, that is one that is really puzzling. I mean, it's not all that surprising that you're not seeing big time production from Chris Turner. It's not all that surprising that Hansford hasn't been a massive producer. It's not surprising that, uh, Cy Martin didn't come in and like light the, the world on fire. Those things yeah. are not all that surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Akil Byers turning into a pumpkin is really surprising. <laughs> 
He is uh, he is one of the big defensive ends. Um, he is backing up uh, Isaiah McGuire. Yeah. So he's he plays mostly on the inside. He'd be playing next to uh, Trajan Jeffcoat on the outside. So he's he's more of a block-absorbing kind of guy, which, again, might be scheme. But even then, you got to win your blocks occasionally. Um, he's had 84 snaps to his name over five games. That is one, two, three, four, five, sixth on the defensive line. So he's not high usage, except he, he was against uh, Florida. And yeah, one solo tackle, five assisted tackles, three and a half tackles overall is what you would call that. Uh, one tackle for loss. And this is a senior who's been around for four years and who has shown that he can do stuff. So I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, You really needed that guy to step up to have any kind of hope of this defensive line improving on the year. And uh, we haven't seen it. And that sucks. It's brutal, and they needed him to be a guy that they could count on going into the season, and if he's not, at least for some sort of production, then it's it's going to be a problem. And they they really need to improve what we're talking about here with their havoc rates because down the stretch, they need to produce some more turnovers. They're, they're not good in the turnover differential right now, and that's not on the offense. It's on the defense. They've, they've got to find a way to improve it. The saving grace, and I know I'm just sounds like I'm coming up with excuses. I know that, but keep in mind, four of these five games have been against ranked opponents, and every single one, Missouri's been a pretty heavy underdog. How much of this changes when we play, you know, say Mississippi State or Vandy or South Carolina, rather than, you know, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee? You know, how much of that changes when when the schedule lessens up a little bit? Hopefully a lot, um, and they need it to. And that's that's why I wrote about this, the two things that need to change down the stretch, because the second half of the schedule is what really matters. You know, I mean, we had mentioned so many times, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, those just weren't realistic games. So LSU wasn't even supposed to be realistic, but now mm-hmm. we see what LSU is. Yeah. Kentucky was super important, but the season was and will be judged based on what they do against South Carolina, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Vandy. That's that's where it was always going to be judged, and that's where it will be judged for the remainder of the year. So um, to your to your question of how much is it about the competition, hopefully a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ho- yeah. Hopefully that's what the vast majority of this is, because they did go up against some really good offensive lines, in particular against Alabama and Tennessee. Those are two really, yeah. really good offensive lines that they saw early in the year. Yeah. The other little thing that I pointed out, and I saw that uh, Gabe DeArmond at Power Mizzou said the exact same thing today. Um, when is the last time Missouri won a road game? I'm sure you remember this, BK. A road game? Yeah. Just overall? Just any road game. When was the last one? Um, didn't they win in 2018 at Tennessee? They did. Now, you're forgetting the 2019 game against Arkansas for good reason because ah. that was technically a neutral site game and also one of the worst Power 5 programs in the country that had given up. So I'm not counting that one, okay? Touche. Uh, yeah, the last true road game against a team with you know interest in playing and winning the game was Tennessee in 2018. Mm. That was the last one. From 2016 to 2019, Missouri was 7-13 and 13 on the road. 17 of those games were against Power 5 competition, 
They went Ugh. five and twelve. Oof. Five and twelve. That's not what you're looking for. It's not. Now that's the old regime. Under new management, they are zero and two against Tennessee and Florida. So it's always tougher to play on the road. I get it, and especially in college football, you're a di- you're a different team every week. I get it, but there's no there's no home field advantage this year, other than you didn't travel to get there for whatever downside that is. There there shouldn't be a huge fall off, and and yet we're still running into the same situations that we're running into the past past four years where it's just tougher to win on the road now maybe that's just that's just how it is hey it's tough to win on the road period it's even tougher in the sec like you just got to take your lumps okay i get it especially with the rebuilding team but um for me me being selfish now that i've seen that you can beat well lsu sucks but now that (laughs) i've seen that you can beat kentucky and you can get that monkey off your back i'd really like to see this year no pressure if you don't but i'd like to see Either a win against South Carolina on the road or Mississippi State on the road or both just to show that this team can win on the road and get that monkey off their back. I'm with you. Um, Which one of those two do you think would be more likely? Mississippi State. Yeah, I I think so too. Um, I would really, just to be able to kind of have some more good feeling going into that Arkansas game, I would... I think that South Carolina game is really important for all of the same reasons as the Kentucky game was. Yeah. Um, although the drought, I don't believe, is quite as long, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the, the South Carolina game is one that has more weight for me as a Mizzou fan because that's been a bellwether game for Mizzou over recent years. Yeah. Uh, basically, since Mizzou came into the SEC, outside of, obviously, 2013, that strange result withstanding, that's kind of been the game that tells us how good Mizzou is and kind of similar in the way that Kentucky shows you who you are as much as they show you who they are. I feel that way about Mizzou whenever they play uh, South Carolina as well. So that's one that I would really, I almost feel like that's more important than the Mississippi state game, even though the Hmm. Mississippi state game is probably more winnable in a weird way. So let's see here. Since we've joined the sec against South Carolina, 2012 loss, 2013, the loss, 2014, the big win. 2015, mm-hmm. the weird win. Uh, then 16, 17, 18, all losses. 19, they finally won. Uh, so that's where we're at with South Carolina. We are three and what three and five since joining the SEC. Was 18 the monsoon or was 17 the monsoon? 18 was the monsoon. Okay. You got it. Yep. Because that was one of the weirdest games that you'll see. That's the other thing about the Kentucky and the South Carolina games is they're all weird. All of them. <laughs> yeah. There is there is no way that they can just play a normal game against no. either of those two teams. They're going to be weird. They're going to be close, closer than probably they should be. And that goes both ways. Yeah. There have been some times where South Carolina completely outplays Mizzou and Mizzou is somehow in the game. And other games where Mizzou completely outplays South Carolina and South Carolina's in the game. Yep. That's bizarre, man. That's bizarre. So, also, a fun little note, uh, the Florida series goes in twos. So, before we entered the SEC, we had lost to Florida. Then we lost in 2012. 13-14, Mizzou won. 15-16, Florida won. 17-18, Mizzou won. 19-20, Florida won. So, what I'm saying is next year, we're due, baby. Yeah! That next year is going to be the year for Mizzou. It's got to be. <laughs> That's how it's how sports work, right? Um, that's what I've heard. Yeah, the do factor. <laughs> that's right, the do factor. Oh God, 
You know, I, I actually forgot this because I was going through historical wins. I know we're getting way off topic here. But um, do you know which team, which SEC team, Missouri has the best winning percentage against since joining the SEC? Uh, is there like a minimum threshold to this? Or is it like they, they played one game against them? and uh, Minimum it? of four games played. Okay, so basically SEC East opponents. Basically, um, yes. I would imagine, if I had to say, the best record against – is it Tennessee? Tennessee, they are 5-3. and three. No, sorry, 5-4. and four. Sorry, we already played them this year. Uh, that is not the best. Um, I'll give you one other guess. Arkansas. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. We have lost one game against Arkansas since we joined the SEC. And that was the last game of Gary Pinkle's tenure. That's wild. Yeah. That that's that's one that they so Vandy has to be a win. Yeah, that's the other Arkansas one. feels like it kinda needs to be a win. It would given be great. where we are at midseason. And given who their defensive coordinator is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I cannot stop like, talking about. I'm sorry. The games that I like. This is not an order of the likelihood of wins, but how I feel as like watching them as a fan, Vandy has to be a win. That's number one. That's like, if you're power ranking, these has to be a win. Vandy's right up there at the top. I'd go Arkansas two, South Carolina, three, Mississippi state four, and then Georgia five for me. And Mississippi state so low because it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Just because I don't think it moves the needle a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, it, it would stink to lose that game certainly, but there's not like any sort of historical rivalry there. It's the first time that they're going up against Mike Leach. So if they just have a weird Mike Leach game, whatever, it just, it, it's on the road. It's towards the end of the season. It, it just, it doesn't hold the same weight to me as a game against South Carolina or Arkansas, for instance. That's fair. Uh, Missouri has In never Georgia, beat. There's just no expectations. No, absolutely not. Uh, Missouri has never beaten Mississippi State since joining the SEC. Other than that, though, know, there's no, there's no point in caring about that game at all. So I'm, I am with you on that. Um, so we were talking about things that needed to change, and then we went down a really weird tangent. But that's okay. I like looking at these things. Um, so obviously, the pass rush needs to change. That needs to get better. Someone's got to step up. We are getting reinforcements next year, but that doesn't help us in 2020. Um, in your eyes, is there anything else that needs to absolutely change to see success as we go through the back half of this year? Yes, and it's something that you harp on so much, man, and good on you for doing so. Missouri's red zone offense, and I know you look more at the scoring opportunities, but the stats that are publicly available and readily available for people like me, Joe Schmo <laughs> of the world, <laughs> yeah, it's easier to find the red zone stats. Missouri's offense is scoring on 86% of its red zone opportunities, and that's really good. You, you love to see 80-plus percent in the red zone. Really, mm -hmm. you'd like to see 90-plus percent, but 86% <laughs> is perfectly fine. Sure. 46% of their red zone drives results in a touchdown, though. And Ooh. that's really, really bad. Yeah. Basically, one out of every two opportunities that they get inside of the red zone, so we're talking inside the 20, they end up scoring a touchdown. They've got to improve there. On the other side of the ball, Missouri is allowing opponents to score on 90% of red zone drives. Not great. You'd like to see that lower. But the worst number is 16 of those 19 red zone drives are actually resulting in a touchdown. <laughs> so 
once people get into the red zone against them, they're scoring touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And when Missouri gets into the red zone themselves, about half the time they're kicking a field goal. So you're basically trading seven points for three points on red zone opportunities. You're just, I don't care if you're playing Alabama or if you're playing Central Arkansas. You're not going to do well with that type of a bartering system. You're going to end up losing more often than not because you're not taking advantage of the drives that you're getting into your opponent's territory. So Missouri has to improve in that area. And I don't know what it is in particular. Like, I don't know what the one thing is that they can do. It, it seems to be a mixed bag. I saw, I went back and looked kind of at the play-by-play of what most of these situations are. They're not running the ball effectively. They're not throwing the ball effectively. It's not any one thing that's going awry for them. It's everything. So I don't know how they fix this with any one area, but it's got to be a little bit of everything. It's ex- execution by the offensive line. It's play calling by the coach. It's Connor Basilek making sure that he hits his open receivers. It's his receivers not dropping the football. It's just from top to bottom, things have to be better once they get into the red zone. And that's the second thing that really needs to pick up for Mizzou. I know you you see Hazelton as that guy, right? The 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 goal line fade, uh, the the receiver who can who should be the target in the red zone, and he, from from what we've seen, he's not really been that option. It can also be running. You know, it took what Larry, you know, three or four tries to get in uh, against Kentucky. Same against uh, Florida this past week. I mean, maybe it's the other question for me and I don't think you've done this, I certainly haven't, is when are those red zone opportunities presenting themselves? If most of the red zone opportunities are in the you know the first half and Drink is going, okay, well, we're playing for points, then, okay, I get it. I get it. Get what you can get. You know, kind of like what he did against, what is it, the fourth quarter when he kicked the field goal down by, you know, infinity and, and kicked the field goal to be down by infinity minus three. I know he was kind of crucified on Twitter. Uh, I think his his explanation was, you know, just get a win, and I, and I get that. But you know, do you do you go for it more? You know, he's he's shown that he's willing to to play with fourth downs a lot more. Should he be pushing for touchdowns over field goals? I don't know if that's the answer, especially if he doesn't have any red zone packages that they can rely on. But um, I mean, there's no go to receiver. Larry's good, but he needs a competent offensive line to open it up, and we haven't seen that all you know consistently all year. So maybe it's just maybe it's just they're not there yet, you know? Yeah, no, it, it certainly could be that it it might be the competition, like you said, it might be a, any number of factors that can go into that. That being said, I mean they're they're moving the ball okay. Yeah, they, they're kind of in the middle of the pack. If you, I was kind of going through yesterday just looking at some of the numbers and how they compare against other SEC foes. And most of their offensive numbers are basically right towards the middle of the pack and in almost every statistic. I mean, rushing offense, they're perfectly fine. Passing offense, they're solid. And Connor Basilek, since he's come in in particular, they've done pretty well in terms of the quarterback rating and some of the more efficient numbers. Um, They've been solid in almost every area. And then they get to the red zone and things just, it gets more difficult for them. And that's, that's by design. Defenses have an extra defender basically with the sidelines and then um, going through the end zone. They, they, they have less space to occupy there. And Eli Drinkwood's scheming becomes a little more difficult when you don't have the vertical area to also be able to utilize. So instead of being able to go vertically and horizontally and using every blade of grass, 
now you're kind of more horizontal. Mm-hmm. And Missouri has struggled at times this year when they try to go horizontally in every possible way. So <laughs> yeah. there's a lot there. And there are things that need to be tightened up, but I do wonder also what this is going to look like whenever, especially towards the end of the year, when we're really going to see this, what this looks like against Mississippi State and uh, against Vanderbilt as well. Yeah. Uh, Just kind of perusing through the old SP plus rankings um, for, for purely just for offensive purposes. So Missouri's offense against opponents defense. What's that look like? Well, Georgia's defense is the best defense in the world, and that's going to suck and hurt, and we'll get over it, and we'll be fine. South Carolina's defense is currently 52nd. Um, Now, there's games to be played, so that's only for this week, but still 52nd for South Carolina. Uh, For Arkansas, their defense is 45th. Okay, that's surprisingly low. Uh, Mississippi State's defense is 57th, quite a bit better than their offense, surprisingly. Um, and then <laughs> if you want to peek through your fingers and look at Vandy, uh, their defense is the strength of their team coming in at 94th in the country. So it gets a lot easier after Georgia. And again, for reference, Missouri's offense this week is 102nd. So they should be at a disadvantage to almost every defense that they play, but every defense that they play is is a lot easier to manage than the ones that they just went through. So take that for what you will. Yeah, it makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. um, going up against weaker opponents means that your offense should look better. Um, I also feel pretty good about the quarterback right now. I think Connor Basilek is a, a really good player who was not helped in the slightest last week. I was probably a little bit too hard on him both in our post-game show and in my post-game write-up on Rakim. SEC StatCat does some breakdowns of players post game and they go through all of the play-by-play and then kind of chart where everything goes Mm -hmm. they had him as an 80 percent accurate quarterback on on saturday so 80 percent of his passes were accurate to their receivers 15 percent of those passes were dropped Hmm. 15 percent man that's just it's inexcusable and so I probably put a little bit too much blame on Basilek when some of that should have been instead shifted even more towards the receivers, who I was critical of, but I probably should have been even more critical of that group and less critical of Basilek based on that. Missouri is undefeated when they don't drop the passes. Yeah. Just pointing that out there. They got to do the little things. They're not good enough to not do those things. Yeah. And too many times this year we've seen them not be able to do them. Yep. Convert in the red zone. Take advantage of takeaways, mm-hmm. uh, turnover opportunities, get pressure on the quarterback whenever you can, mm-hmm. catch the football, mm-hmm. block the guy in front of you. Mm-hmm. It all sounds so easy, <laughs> and it's so much harder when there's guys that are actually moving at wild speeds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, they get a bye week to figure it out just in time for, for a game against Georgia, which will be no fun, but um, that's okay. Yeah, you know, uh, BK, just apropos of nothing at all, no reason why I'm pulling this up today, November 3rd, 2020. Um, I was I was curious. Do you know the five U.S. presidents that played college football? Do you think you can name them? I don't. What do we got here? Really? You don't think you can name a single one? Because there's one that I knew before I even looked this up. And I was just curious if you have a wild guess. 
Um, I think JFK did. He did. I'm pretty sure on that. He did at uh, at Harvard. Did Reagan? He did. Wow. Good job. Not only was he George Gipp in the Newt Rockney movie, uh, but he played for Eureka College. He was a linebacker is what it looks like. I think those are the two I've got. <laughs> that's, hey, man, that's great. I did, not, I did not know those two before looking this up. So you've got me beat there. Uh, Richard Nixon. Tricky Dick. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he played. Uh, he went to Whittier College in California. He was, uh, he was a tackle. Uh, big time. He was a tackle. Now, keep in mind, uh, back in those days, tackle, you played both ways. So offensive tackle, defensive tackle. Richard Nixon was 5'11", 175. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, that means uh, Harrison Mevis could bench press uh, Richard Nixon to tackle. Oh, easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Uh, God, I love our I love our beautiful thicker. Uh, so, yeah, Ronald Reagan played at Eureka. Dwight D. Eisenhower played at Army. Uh, he was a running back and a linebacker. And his claim to fame is that I think he tap he tackled Jim Thorpe twice in a game. It was one of the big ones. So you remember Jim Thorpe, right? I've I've heard of him a time or two, yeah. yeah he's got I think a there's whole... an award named after him. He was so damn good they named an award after him. Yeah. So <laughs> uh Dwight D. Eisenhower, yeah, he won World War II, whatever. Also tackled Jim Thorpe. Not too many people can say that. So good on you, Dwight. Uh and the one that I always knew uh was Gerald Ford, who was uh, an All-American uh, yes, at Michigan. Yes, yes, I should have known that one. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think uh, he actually had offers to go pro, if I remember correctly. Um, he was a starting center. Um, so Gerald Ford was an All-American there. But uh, went to Michigan. He was a Michigan man. Um, could have gone pro, and I think he became a lawyer. And then he ended up president. So, hey, it worked out in the end, didn't it? So, yeah, there you go. You're probably not going to see a whole lot of presidents take the field on Saturdays, but there were a few. <laughs> There were a few. Uh, what? Just apropos of nothing again, once again, just another random tangent. How far in your professional sports career did you make it, BK? What level did you stop playing? Oh, high school. I played in high school, and that was it. Um, I played, like, intramurals at Mizzou, but yeah. I always knew I wasn't going to be a guy that was good enough to play in college. I was not at that level of athlete. Um, I played at a really good high school in Blue Springs, and I saw what college athletes looked like, and I was like, yeah, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't run a 4-4. I don't jump 40 inches. I'm never going to have an opportunity to do either of those two things. I think this is where the line ends for me. So I kind of <laughs> always knew if I wanted to do anything inside of sports, this was going to be the way that I was going to do it. Um, so I, I knew pretty early on that that was just not going to be the lane for me. What about for you? So, uh, like most people, I retired from soccer after kindergarten. Um, figured that wasn't for me. I played football up to up to high school. Um, I was a tight end and a uh, bigger, a taller safety. We'll call it that because I was slow as hell. And um, yeah, I went up against uh, Cedric Alvis, who is now the head coach at Hickman High School. Um, he was our starting running back, our best player on the team. And he hit the hole and was coming towards me. And he had, I think he ended up playing at Missouri State. So he was very good. He got a scholarship there. Uh, certainly not a, a you know a D1 player, but incredibly great player. He hit the hole. I went up to, to stop him. And he hit me so hard, I saw Jesus. 
And I was like, that that's it. I'm done with I'm done with sports. <laughs> I'm not gonna cut it. Uh, I know how the game is played. I like talking about it. I'm not gonna make it at all. So that was when I retired uh, from football and have been observing from the sideline uh, in the bandstands for, for basically every year after that. So that was the end of my career. I, I, I think that's kind of how it goes for most of us. Yeah. We have a moment yeah. where whether it be a hit or seeing a real division one athlete whatever it may be there's a moment where you say to yourself oh that's different and <laughs> <laughs> that is that is not what i do when i play football or basketball or whatever it is whatever your sport was as you were uh growing up and then you just say okay i think i'm done here yeah <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna go uh professional in something other than sports <laughs> There you go. There you go. Which, hey, it's good to know your limitations. It takes good character, good uh, self-actualization to understand what you can and can't do. Uh, there's no humility in walking away from some college athlete pounding your ass into the ground. So it's totally fine. Uh, going into the bye week, I don't know, man. Any last thoughts uh, before we leave our, our listeners for it? No Saturday show, so we'll be back to you next week. But any parting shots? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, we're, we're officially halfway through the season. And I think based on where we are halfway through the year, and this is kind of where I left off on Saturday as well, but I think it's good to reiterate it. Uh, it's been a success. They beat Kentucky for the first time in five years. Mm -hmm. They beat LSU, and I don't care what kind of a team LSU is this year. <laughs> no, I don't do care I. if they're good, bad, indifferent. I don't care. Yeah. LSU is a big win for Missouri anytime Missouri can get it. That is always going to be the case. I do not care where either program is. That's a good win for Mizzou. And so you leave the first half of the season, two and three, with wins over LSU and Kentucky, and you feel good about it. Mm -hmm. I know that the other three games were less than ideal. You really were never close in any of those three games. It doesn't matter to me. Now it's about, in the second half of the year, what do you do in those last four games? It doesn't matter what you do against Georgia. It matters what you do against South Carolina, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Vandy. And if you're able to have success in those four games... I think this will be a hugely successful season that most Mizzou fans look back on and say Eli Drinkwitz got them on board with what he was able to do in year one. Agree. Win a few games, win the recruiting trail, get back at it in 2021. That's all you can ask for. So, yeah, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and we appreciate the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback, of course. You can follow us. On the Twitter machine, I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.